this protecting that God has over us. And Peter is just so enthusiastic. It's a great start to a letter, the enthusiasm that he has. And we've moved forward, and, and Peter's then said to us, well, you know, this hope that we have, if we have been given so much, let us live holy lives. And he reminded us what God said to the Israelites in Leviticus. He said, be holy, for I am holy. And Peter said, well, that should be true for us as well as Christians. We should be living good lives. <coughs> and then we moved on last week and the week before, and, and Peter explored some more of that. And, and we came in verse 12 of chapter 2, and Peter said to us there, live such good lives among the people around you, that even though they slander you and say all sorts of horrible things against you, that they will see your good deeds and that they will praise God on the day that Jesus comes visiting us, on the day of His return. They will glorify God for the way in which you and I have lived our lives. Wow, what a great calling that is for us. I want to tell you to start the story of a, a worker. It's maybe not an uncommon story. This, this, the guy grew up in a godly family and a whole series of circumstances. He ended up working for uh, this person, quite a high-ranking job. He, lots of people under him that, that he was in charge of. Problem was, his boss had a wife who really liked him. <laughs> true story this. Now the, you know, poor old guy, he, he was at work and whenever the boss was out of the room, his wife, the boss's wife would come to him and say, hey, hey, you want to go out for a date sometime? Horrible story, isn't it? Now this, this guy, poor guy, is from a godly family, he wants to live an upright life and, and here this is happening. <laughs> and, and, and eventually what happens is that the, the, the boss goes away for just a little while um, and the boss's wife is absolutely, she's a nutter. She's a nutcase. She grabs him and says, right, you and I are going to do it right now. True story. He runs away, somehow gets away, leaves his jacket in her hands. In comes the boss. She starts screaming. That jolly worker of yours tried to rape me. True story. And the boss pressed charges and the guy was thrown into jail and he, he sat there for years and years and years. I know it's a true story because it's the story of Joseph, <laughs> which hopefully you would have read in your Bible readings over the last week or two. Here is a story of a man who suffers unjustly. A worker who suffers at the hand of his boss when all he is doing is trying to honor his boss and respect his boss and do the right thing by his boss and he gets thrown into jail for it. And he only stays there until Pharaoh calls him and, and God puts him in a place of power and, and authority over the people of Egypt. In today's passage, Peter is writing to us about slaves submitting to their masters. And you might have listened as John read that and thought, why, you know what? Why on earth are we doing this passage? <laughs> we don't have slaves today. 
I'm certainly not a slave. Why, what, what does this say to me? Well, I think the first thing we have to say is that we need to get our, our idea about slavery right. What we're talking about here, what Peter means by slave or, or servant is not the, the Western idea of slavery that we hold on to. We're not talking indentured slaves who have no rights, who have no life, who have to obey their master or mistress in all things, regardless, who are treated as subhuman. We're not talking slavery as it was practiced in America and Africa and Europe. What we're talking about is slavery as it was practiced in ancient Rome, which is kind of similar to slavery as it is practiced in Zimbabwe at the moment. Let's change terms. It's not slavery. Let's call them servants. I have an uncle who lives in Zimbabwe. He has many servants who he pays to do a a job for him. Basically housekeepers, house cleaners, all that sort of thing. Similar, not quite the same as ancient times. You see, in ancient times, if you were a servant, you could be quite an important person. First off, if you were set free from slavery, you could become a Roman citizen. It's a... a, much more difficult route to becoming citizenship than it is in Australia. I don't think I would have become a citizen if I had to be a slave first. But back then, you, you usually uh, were a slave for about 10 years' time. Um, if you started off born into slavery, you'd probably be free by about age 30. You could be a slave and be a very important person. Joseph ruled over the whole of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. Slaves are people that they can be doctors, they can be teachers, they can be accountants, they can be writers, they can be captains of big ships, they can be all sorts of things. To be a slave was not a menial thing. To be a slave was, was just to be a worker in society. And they reckon that about a third of the Roman population was Slaves. And depending on the stats that you look at, we're talking between 20 and 40 million people as slaves. These were the, the cornerstone to the economic structure of the Roman Empire. And it's these people that, that Peter is writing to. He's writing to the workers, he's writing to the middle class. He's saying to them, you people, as you worship God in your day-to-day lives, how will it look at work? It's not quite the same as our work. We go home. They probably stayed at the house where they were working. But they had a swanky place to stay, more likely than not. There are some records of slave accommodation being used as Uh, guest, VIP guest accommodation. Wasn't a bad gig to be a slave. What does Peter say to them? He says to them, I want you to be good citizens. I want you to be good workers. And I want you to be good workers regardless of how your boss is. If you've got a nice boss who treats you well, fantastic. Wonderful. Aren't you blessed to have that? 
But if you've got a boss who's a tyrant, who smacks you, who's a crook, is the word that he actually uses there. If your boss is crooked towards you, even then, says Peter, I want you to live a good, godly life. Because if you, if you stand up and rebel against that, and you say to them, well, I've been set free in Christ. I have been set free from all things. I don't need to be your slave anymore. I don't have to listen to you. If they went around and said that as Christians, A, Christian faith would get such a bad name in society. B, if all the Christian slaves did that, your workforce would be in a bit of turmoil. And see, they would lose the opportunity to show by their actions something of the gospel to their boss and the family in his house. You see, Peter really is just expanding on what he said in verse 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, but live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And Peter says, I want you as slaves and I want us here as workers in Australia to live lives that go beyond what society expects of us. Because it is God's will. Because it means that others will see something of God's grace and mercy. And because God is just. First of those is an interesting one. It's the one that's, that's on our, our cover here. It says, take up your cross, suffering to please God. I wonder if any of you picked it up and said, what? Nicholas has been smoking something this week. Suffering to please God? I don't think so, thank you very much. And it's right. Suffering for suffering's sake is not something that pleases God. God is not some sadist in the sky who looks down and says, Ooh, I'm going to make John suffer today. Ooh, look at Nicky squirming. That's not the way God is. God doesn't enjoy seeing his people suffer. And yet, says Peter to us here, suffering is something in which we can please God. How is it your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer, verse 20, for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Or to translate it a different way, this is a grace before God. Suffering for doing right and enduring it pleases God. The other readings that we've been doing this week, and I love how our readings 
just match up with, with what I'm going to say. It's almost like it's got the same author. If, if you remember, we've been reading a bit of Job as well. Here is a man, I love the beginning of Job. God is there in the heavenly courts and Satan, the accuser, comes and God says, boy, have you seen my man Job over there? What a bloke. And Satan says, well, let me, let me put him under the thumb screws for a little bit and we'll see what a bloke he is. And Job suffers, loses his family, loses his livestock, loses, as we read, his friends, and their respect. Loses everything. And yet he refuses to curse God. Instead, Job 19, today's reading, I believe, if I can find it. Fantastic. One of my favorite passages in the whole of Job. Oh, wouldn't you know that? I've just gone and lost it. I'll have to read it out the Bible. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, maybe it's 17. I can tell you it because it's one of my favorite passages. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. And though I go down to the grave, I will yet see him. This is the kind of suffering and endurance which pleases God. Here is a man who has lost everything. Unjustly, his friends, time, it's horrible reading. They're sitting there going, Job, you are a rotter, you are a sinner, you are a, a dirtbag. You must be because you suffer so much. And Job says, no, I will not curse God. I will not, I will not accept this. And yet, I will trust in God. I will go through this. And Job says, I wish God would kill me. (laughs) But I will not deny him. You see, I think one of the reasons we suffer is the same reason Job suffered. The devil would have us in our suffering, reject God and deny our faith. 1925. Could you read it for us, Joan? Fantastic. What a, what a word in the middle of anguish. And this is the strategy of the devil in our suffering to make us turn against God. And what does Peter say? He says what God is pleased with is when in suffering we endure. It puts a smile on God's face. And sometimes we do suffer justly. (laughs) Let's be honest. 
But sometimes we don't. And sometimes we might even suffer for the sake of Christ. I think we in Australia have got it easy in that regard. And yet I suspect that there are still occasions when that happens. I'm sure you can think of some. Uh, The most vivid one for myself is during my school days, my high school days, when I would be followed around by people saying, just swear, Nick, just swear. (laughs) And they did that because they knew I was a Christian and that wasn't going to be the kind of person I was. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. Be glad because great is your reward in heaven. (laughs) You know what? If there was no reward, why would we endure the suffering? But the reward in heaven is great. Jesus says your reward in heaven is great. Peter opened the book and said, what a great hope we have. What a great future there is in store for us. What a great citizenship we have and therefore we shall endure and live such good lives. Verse 12, this is the key verse of this whole section. Live such good lives that people see what we do and how we are and will praise God. But Peter goes on and he says, look, you're going to suffer. And in your suffering, are you going to please God or not? But he goes further than saying, will you please God or not? He goes on and he says, and your suffering is your call from God. Anybody here got a call from God? Can I just... Anybody? Kevin? Pam? Joan? Anybody here a Christian? Okay, let's try again. Anybody got a call from God? (laughs) We've got a call. We've all got a call of God on our lives. The call to share the good news. That's why we're here. That's why the church is here. That's why we are waiting Jesus' return. Because we have this duty of sharing the good news with all people. But Peter says over here to us, verse 20, he says, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. Your calling and my calling as a Christian is not just a calling to share the good news, but it is a calling to suffer for the gospel. And in that, to share the good news. (laughs) Suffering is our heritage. It's part of our spiritual DNA. We have a cross. That's the symbol of our faith. Suffering is key. This side of eternity. All people will suffer. The question is which side of eternity? And I wonder sometimes whether how we respond to our suffering 
doesn't say something to ourselves about the value of Christ for us. Church history is fantastic. Um, Cyprian Bishop of Carthage, I've mentioned him a few times over the years. He lived at a time when there was persecution against the church and the people wanted the Christians. The Roman state said to the Christians, you must bow down to Caesar. Deny your faith. Or die. And it's at times like that where you ask yourself, how much do I value Jesus? And history is littered with martyrs who have gone to heaven, refusing to deny Christ. Also got the example, of course, in the Old Testament of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, refusing to bow down to the emperor, to the king. Thrown into that pit. You know what I love about that story? As they are thrown into that pit and the lions don't eat them, they're there the whole, uh, sorry, the fire. Lions fire. <laughs> Get those two confused. The king is sleepless. And he rushes down the next morning. <laughs> And something about their attitude. Though we burn, yet we will not deny God. Doesn't that speak volumes about their faith? And when God acts to save them, you know what happens. The edict goes out. All of you people praise this God. He's the only God. See, in our suffering, even in suffering for the gospel, we are called to share the gospel. And this call is, of course, rooted and sustained and held firm in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, which is where Peter finishes for us this morning. He says to us, Jesus' pattern of life is to be our example, our pattern of life, our example. And the word example there, it, it's, it's got this image. Back in those days, if you were a kid learning how to write, you'd get a, a, a clay tablet and and the letters would sort of be indented into the tablet, and you'd sort of follow along the indentation. This is, this is the pattern. This is the example. And, and Peter says to us, this 
clay tablet, this pattern, this example for you as slaves, as workers, as middle class Australians, as Christians, as all people, this pattern is Christ. The suffering servant. And if you get a chance, read through Isaiah chapter 54 because what Peter says here in in verses 23 to 25 or basically 21 to 25, is, is a reflection and in some case direct quotation from Isaiah chapter 54. And in many ways it's a counterintuitive argument that as Christians our pattern is one of suffering. And it's certainly not one that Peter understood properly. Remember the first time when Jesus in, in the Gospel of Mark started telling them about how the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and suffer and they be executed and then die and then rise to life. You remember what Peter says? Mark chapter 8. He looks at Jesus and he rebukes him. He says, I've just said that you are the Lord, Lord, but shut up. This isn't right. This isn't acceptable. And this is the pattern that Peter goes through, through the rest of the gospel. We find him in Mark chapter 14, you remember, he's he's there in the courtyard of the high priest. (laughs) And despite just a, a few moments before saying, I will die with you, Lord. He's so afraid of his skin that he calls down curses on himself and says, I don't know that man. I think he is like us. We, we don't. Having suffering as our pattern, our example, is not something that comes naturally. And yet, and yet after he is resurrected from the dead, Jesus meets with Peter. He forgives him. Sets him as the rock on which he is going to build the church. And everything for Peter changes. And he realizes that far from the cross being a thing of shame and disgrace. It is the power and the wisdom of God and the key for Christian experience. When Peter says to us, he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. If ever there was one who suffered unjustly, it was Christ. And maybe you and I will have an experience of unjust suffering. And I'm sure you have had in the past. (laughs) Boy, we're not even a fraction as innocent as Christ was. Even at our most innocent. Throughout Jesus' ministry... Many people treated him as dirt. Laughed at his teachings. Accused of being possessed by the devil. Called a glutton and a drunkard for hanging out with the wrong kind of people. 
beaten with a stick, spat on, crucified. And in all these things, enduring his suffering. And in all these things, pleasing God. Did it please God that his son was treated that way? Did God smile when they put that crown of thorns on his head? he did not because what the people were doing but because of the way his son was dealing with it enduring it patiently that is of God <laughs> to endure suffering the way Jesus endured his suffering. And I believe that, that God gives us power and capacity to do exactly that. When they slandered him at his so-called trial, when they accused him before Pilate, Pilate was amazed because he didn't even answer their charges. All their slanderous accusations. He didn't threaten to get at them. When they came to arrest him in the garden, he said to them, why do you come at me with clubs and swords? Am I leading an insurrection? I've been with you all this time did not attack them, though they fell to the ground at the very speaking of his name. Instead, says Peter, he entrusted himself to God. He understood that he didn't need to insist on justice then, because God will bring justice at the end. But more than that, he refused to insist on justice then so that there could be mercy even to those who were abusing him. One of my favorite episodes in the Bible is that centurion standing at the cross as Jesus breathes his last and he says, surely this man was the son of God. What a gospel presentation in suffering. There's a TV show on at the moment. I haven't watched it. I don't even know if it started called Revenge. Anybody watched it? What a horribly sad show. In fact, I'm sure one of the adverts for it say, this isn't a story about forgiveness. When everything is taken from you, all you've got left is revenge. 
And the story of, of Christ is not one of revenge, but one of, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And I wonder which is the stronger, more compelling story, the one which will change more lives. Harrison Ford style, kill you all for killing my family. Or one of love. And patient endurance. Peter is addressing us as slaves, as Workers, middle class Australians. He said to us, in our working life, will we live such good lives regardless of the way that we are treated ourselves? That people will see our good deeds and praise God. Will we do that? He said to us, our calling is one of suffering. How will we respond to that? Will we respond in such a way that that God is pleased? And he said to us, our example, our pattern is Christ. Will we emulate him with the help of the Holy Spirit? Peter has one last thing to say. And it's, it's kind of an aside... He's got this list of Christ is our example, Christ is our example, but it then comes to verse 24 and 25. And how can I speak about Christ and not speak about how he has saved us and rescued us? Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins, live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Quote from Isaiah 54. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Christ is our example, but He is so much more. He is the Savior, the one who has rescued us, the one who has given us life and healing by what He has done. His innocence means life for us and the chance to live lives that are righteous and good and that honor God. And in this, we cannot be as Christ. We can never atone for somebody else. But I wonder whether there isn't a shadow of this, which even in our suffering, we might direct people to Him. That by our wounds, they might see his wounds and be healed. I pray that that you do not suffer. And I pray that knowing that you probably will. So let me not pray that. I pray instead that when you suffer, if you suffer justly, that you would learn humility from that. If you suffer unjustly, that you would endure it in the manner of Christ, that he might be glorified 
and that the person inflicting your suffering on you might perhaps come to know Christ. Amen.